Welcome back to Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed. This week, we are continuing our Listen To series. I am one of your hosts, Kisa Holpe. I'm your other host, Renee Rethel. This week, we're diving deeper into conversation with Kentucky State Representative Attica Scott as we listen to her speak about racial injustice and racial inequity. The Courier Journal, Louisville's main newspaper, named you a personal watch in 2021. We would agree with that. Uh, we've looked at what's on your legislative docket for 2021. So Bill Request 22, of course, um, is Brianna's law. And then we can talk about Bill Request 77, which deals with implicit bias uh, in peri perinatal care. Um, Bill Request 169 is tackling discriminatory practices. So how are you feeling about 2021 with all that you have on your plate? I mean, I know you're getting after it at the state level and putting your foot down and saying no more racial injustice uh, in Kentucky. But one, how confident uh, are you in that? And do you think that the state legislatures, state legislators will listen? Yeah, so this, this uh, series is called Listen To. Listen to us, listen to Black women. This was a Black mother's daughter who was murdered. Um, when we think about BR 22, Bill Request 22, Brianna's Law. Um, I can't think of any piece of legislation in the Commonwealth of Kentucky that carries a Black woman's name um, as the law. Um, this protest is in response to her murder. This policy is in response to her murder. Instead of the legislature, predominantly white legislature, deciding that um, it wants to uh, be the white saviors, listen to us, pass the bill that was created in partnership with her family attorney, with her community, because we are the closest to the pain. So we should be closest to this political power and decision-making around Rihanna's law. That's the message that I'm sending across Kentucky. I've been speaking to people from, uh, you know, Whitesburg in Appalachia to Bowling Green in Western Kentucky about Rihanna's law. We've received nothing but support from people because we know that this is a bipartisan issue. We, you know, people want to end these dangerous no-knock warrants to keep people safe in their homes, but also to keep law enforcement safe. So let's end this terrible practice and let's create a piece of legislation that uh, codifies, um, you know, into law this uh, ending this policy, but also puts Brianna's name on a piece of legislation in Kentucky so that um, the legacy of justice that we have been fighting for will be with us um, forever as a commonwealth. House Bill 21 was introduced to the Kentucky General Assembly by Representative Scott and 12 other sponsors on January 5th. The request, otherwise known as Brianna's Law, would require officers to give notice before entering premises to execute a search warrant, would require officers to activate body-worn cameras when serving a warrant, and would amend KRS 154.440 to require law enforcement agencies to create policies requiring mandatory drug and alcohol testing for officers involved in a deadly incident, among many other things pertaining to law enforcement activity. Of course, Louisville Metro Council passed Brianna's Law in June of 2020. Brianna's Law is already in place in Virginia, Florida, and Oregon. As white people, for us to stand in the way of this law being named after a Black woman, or even this law becoming a law in the first place, is crazy. Of course, our police officers need to have accountability. And of course, our police officers need to not be killing Black people. 
That's it, period. And even though it doesn't happen to you as a white person, as a white person, I should be able to step back and say, I see you, I see the pain, I see the fear, and I'm not going to stand in your way. Okay, so I'm going to move on. Like we said, we're starting this <laughs> series um, called Listen to You. For the next seven episodes, we will be listening to people of color talk about different areas of life where they have experienced injustices on the regular. So we wanted to do something with you, Representative Scott. We're going to say each topic for the next seven episodes, and we want you to take one to two minutes to tell us what comes to your mind in terms of what people of color and more specifically, Black people in America, not just Kentucky, have experienced in each of these areas of life. And Keith yes. is going to kick us off. Do you have okay, any yeah, questions so. before, no, we no, start? No, right. before we okay. start? <laughs> well, uh, Andre M. Perry, a Brookings Fellow in the, the Metropolitan Policy Program, says this. Throughout the United States, homes in Black neighborhoods are priced around 23% less than those in white neighborhoods. That is a difference of nearly $50,000 per home, which totals to about $156 billion in lost assets. What comes to your mind when we say housing? Affordable housing, um, getting people who are houseless into uh, sustainable shelter. Uh, I serve a district that is literally 50% white, 50% black in the east end of Louisville, the west end of Louisville. So I get to see that disparity often of um, how uh, the the value of homes are different in the east end of Louisville to the west end of Louisville. Um, and, and what I believe we have to do as communities across this country is address issues like redlining, um, address issues like residential segregation. Um, we have to make sure that we are uh, rehabbing homes uh, and getting people who are houseless into shelter. Um, and we need to make sure that we are connecting people to the resources and social services that they need to have economic stability and viability so that people not only survive, but they thrive. We deserve to be able to thrive in our communities across this country. According to uncf.org, students of color are often concentrated in schools with fewer resources. Schools with 90% or more students of color spend $733 less per student per year than schools with 90% or more white students. What do you think of when you think about Black students in America? So I, you know, United Negro College Fund, very familiar with it. I'm a graduate of a historically Black college in East Tennessee, Knoxville College, Louisville is home. Um, and I serve on the education committee in the House of Representatives here in Kentucky. So when I think of education, and in particular education equity, I see in my district the disparity, the differences in um, the resources that schools have um, from neighborhood to neighborhood, whether it's based on what parents are able to financially contribute to a school or um, the, the tax base and, and um, how we allocate our taxes to supporting our schools. And so we have a lot of work to do across the country um, to achieve real educational equity. And part of that uh, depends on who we elect to represent us on uh, school boards, right? So, you know, you all said this isn't a political show, but everything we do is impacted by politics yes. and policy. Yeah. 
Um, and so we have to have a commitment um, internally. There has to be internal policy commitment to uh, educational equity. There has to be uh, public policy commitment to educational equity. We have to be willing to invest in fully funding public education across the country so that every single um, child uh, in our communities have access to good quality education. We have to be willing to pay our teachers what they deserve. We need to make sure that they have full benefits to be able to, to be the educators that they all want to be, but that we uh, inhibit them in being because we expect them to take on second jobs while at the same time trying to educate our students. So there's a lot of work that has to happen across the country and I'm committed to that work. I've already been rolling out my sleeves to do it and I uh, welcome other people to join in this work. So the Center for American Progress reports this. African-American women are three to four times more likely to die from childbirth than non-Hispanic white women, and socioeconomic status, education, and other factors do not protect against this disparity. We know this is near and dear to your heart, Representative Scott, as you have proposed bill that address this very issue in the state of Kentucky. What comes to your mind? We have to pass the Maternal Care Act in Kentucky because we, if we think about the disproportionate impact of COVID-19 on Black people across the Commonwealth, um, on Latinx folks across the Commonwealth, um, we know that there are pieces of the Maternal Care Act that would have helped us to address those issues right now, including institutional and systemic racism in healthcare. People um, aren't only not receiving the care that they need because they don't have access to the care, but it's also because of the history of racism in the institutions and systems of healthcare. And that history continues to exist to this very day. We've seen it. We've even seen doctors going live on their Facebook pages, Black women saying that I've been treated differently because I'm Black, and then weeks later she's dead. Um, we can make a difference in Kentucky by passing the Maternal Care Act, but we have to have the political will to have conversations about race and racism in the Commonwealth and across this country. Not having the conversations won't make institutional and systemic racism go away. In fact, it's going to continue um, to add a wider divide across our country. So I'm committed to continuing to push forward with the Maternal Care Act. The ACLU of Kentucky has been an amazing partner with us in this work as a Planned Parenthood Advocates of Indiana and Kentucky and across this country, we've seen city after city, state after state pass similar pieces of legislation um, like the Maternal Care Act. We can do it in Kentucky. We have to have the political will. All right, moving along, AmericanProgress.org says this about wealth. If current trends continue, it could take more than 200 years for the average Black family to accumulate the same amount of wealth as its white counterparts. What comes to your mind on that one, Representative Scott? Well, in District 41, the work has been happening for a few years through Russell, a place of promise, a community-based organization in one of my neighborhoods uh, in District 41 that's really been focused intentionally on Black wealth and how to build Black wealth in neighborhoods in the West End of uh, Kentucky or the West End of Louisville that are predominantly Black. Um, so that work is happening. We also have to be really honest about the fact that for more than a decade in this country and in this state, we've been paying people a poverty minimum wage. Who can survive $7.25 an hour? That's ridiculous. Um, we are asking people to try to survive from paycheck to paycheck. And in some instances right now, as we see with COVID-19 and the lack of a, a survival stimulus, no check to no check. Mm -hmm. And we can no longer expect people to be able to even um, survive 
uh, in the pathway that we're going. So we have to raise the minimum wage to a living wage that people can sustain. We have to make sure that we're focusing on building black wealth. Um, we have to support small businesses that are owned by black folks, um, black women in particular. We can do that work at the local level. We can do that work at the state level. We can do that work at the federal level. Again, we have to make sure that we're uh, electing people to be in those positions um, to prioritize building that which has um, existed but has been torn down by the structures that were never designed for us. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to jump in there, Kisa, if that's okay. On this yeah, one, go ahead. Because I kind of think that some of our listeners might say, well, you got to be able to, you know, get a good job. You got to educate yourself. You got to do these things. And the responsibility needs to be on, you know, each individual's shoulders. And when it comes to this topic, and I want to just, I don't know. I just felt the need to say something like, I I think one of the things we're going to learn on this series, especially the white folks are going to learn a little bit about is that perhaps maybe Black people have never really had the opportunity to, as a, as a system to get ahead or to get that education that we're saying they need to get the good job, to not get paid minimum wage. Like there's a lot of layers to this and it's not just on, it doesn't just rest on personal responsibility because I hear that a lot, right? Yeah, we, we both heard a lot this, this past season, especially, uh, the starting line is not the same for black folks as it is for white people. And and it's easy for people to say, well, just don't be lazy. You know, I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. This, that. It's not the same. And the sooner they acknowledge that, the sooner we can get to uh, solutions. So you're absolutely right, yeah. Renee. We'll, we'll get to that this season for sure. The Equal Justice Initiative reports that while the United States has 5% of the world's population, we are home to 25% of the world's incarcerated population. EJI also says mass incarceration disproportionately impacts the poor and people of color and does not make us safer. What comes to your mind? Mm. Um, so we we have to dismantle the, the systems that have been designed to keep um, Black folks, Indigenous people, Latinx folks incarcerated. Um, you know, we've seen it ourselves right here in Kentucky with the um, over-incarceration of Black people who've been out uh, protesting for justice for um, Breonna Taylor. These systems are designed to uh, lock us up. And we've seen in Kentucky an increase in incarceration of women and black women across Kentucky. And we're building more of these buildings to house our bodies and take us away from our families Mm -hmm. um, instead of looking at what it means um, to restore justice in community. Let's look at more restorative justice practices that really are about making people whole and making communities whole um, and and making whole people who have been harmed uh, and and making sure that we hold accountable people who have done the harm. But locking people up um, is not necessarily a deterrent. And we know this. Um, What it is, though, is a way to separate families. What it is, though, is a way to destroy communities. Um, And what it is, is a way to, we just talked about uh, economics and financial security. It's a way to continue to um, take the bottom out of communities, the economic and financial bottom out of communities. Um, But under the guise of Uh, bringing that economic development to rural communities, right, by building more um, 
prisons, right? And so what happens is politicians and in some cases, mainstream media create a division between urban and rural with these kinds of conversations where we're bringing jobs to rural areas, but you're locking up more and more people who look like me and my children. Um, so we have to reckon with that. We have to reckon with institutions and systems that um, were really designed to keep black people enslaved and that's what they continue to do. Um, and until we are willing to dismantle those systems, until we are really um, willing to uh, reimagine what community safety looks like and what it means, uh, we are going to find ourselves in this situation where we are today, where people don't have the right to vote, which is by design, so that we can't transform our democracy, uh, where children like me grow up with parents who are incarcerated and we don't have uh, the, the social support systems um, that are necessary to continue to, to strengthen our families. Um, and, and that is not the way that you build strong communities. And so I want us to have strong communities and strong communities are not communities that throw people away. According to a study that NBC News reported on about a year ago, Blacks represent less than one percentage point, 0.8% to be exact, of Fortune 500 CEOs, but they make up 10% of college graduates. As of today, we only have three Black CEOs at Fortune 500 companies. Why don't we have 50 if Black Americans make up 10% of college graduates? What comes to your mind? What comes to my, my mind is uh, student loan debt. Um, and, and debt poverty, right? Um, because 10% is still abysmally low, right? Um, but we also make higher education unattainable um, for uh, most people because it's way too expensive. Um, and this, this system of um, taking out loans that are gonna stick with you for the rest of your lives is not something that's uh, you know an attractive alternative for folks. So we've got to look at um, higher education. We've got to address this issue of student loan debt and have conversations about what it means to cancel this debt. Um, but we also have to acknowledge that when we think about leadership across this country, unfortunately, we don't think about black people. These Fortune 500 companies don't think about a black person being the face and the voice of their companies. And so we don't often get elevated to, to those positions and those opportunities, in particular black women. And so we have a lot of transformative work that we have to do across this country to reconcile um, and reckon with uh, issues of race and institutional and systemic racism. Um, because we're not going to be able to dismantle these systems. But we also have to have a conversation about why we even believe that these Fortune 500 companies are important enough for us to be having this conversation because we need to truly um, dismantle this system of capitalism that makes us think that what we wanna to aspire to is a Fortune 500 company, when instead what I believe we need to aspire to is supporting these small businesses in community that gives a lot of people a chance um, to be able to make a difference for themselves and their families financially that give them a chance to really lift up um, their culture and heritage through the products that they make available um, to communities, to neighborhoods, to cities, to um, counties and states. Now hold up, before you all send us a bunch of emails about the usage of the word dismantle, let's take a deep breath for a second. She didn't say she's going to shut down capitalism. She didn't say she's going to destroy capitalism. She said, maybe we need to dismantle it. Have you looked up the definition of the word dismantle? It literally means to disconnect the pieces of. And so maybe if we have a system in our country that isn't working the way it should equitably for everyone, 
maybe we do need to disconnect some pieces and then see what's working, see what's not, and then put it back together. Let's all just take a deep breath and let's think, maybe, maybe dismantling is a possible solution. The Pew Research Center found that nearly 80% of African-Americans identify as Christian. There's a lot of history to unpack about uh, the church and issues uh, concerning race, which we will do later this season. What comes to mind when you think about Black Americans and the church? Mm, well, you know, the, the church for me has been uh, um, my foundation to help me get through uh, the, the most difficult and hardest times in my life, whether it was when my mother died from an alcohol and, and drug overdose when I was 16 or um, to this very day when, when we were unjustly incarcerated. It's been my faith that has helped me um, to make it through those, those tough times. I also know that religion has been used as a weapon um, against Black folks. And so I totally get it when, when people um, are, are having their own internal and external reckoning um, with Christianity um, and, and how it shows up in our lives because we've seen um, uh, sexism in the church, we've seen racism, uh, uh, in, in internal, internalized racism um, play itself out in, in the church and in worship. And so there's going to be a lot of uh, continued work that has to happen um, for us to understand what it means to truly be the beloved community, um, what it means to be people of faith, um, what spirituality and religion mean, um, and, and how we uh, really uh, personify and exemplify the, the social justice teachings of biblical texts, because I truly believe that there is a wealth of biblical um, social justice teachings if and, and if we are, are willing to lift those up, um, uh, then I believe that we're going to be able to create uh, deeper and better societies that uh, celebrate all of us in the way that we show up in the Representative Scott said people in our nation have used religion as a weapon. How much more powerful is that phrase now since January 6th? Did you see the people waving Jesus flags alongside Confederate flags during the insurrection of our capital? Perhaps we witnessed religion being used as a weapon once again on that heartbreaking day in Washington, D.C. Yes, ma'am. There it is. Very good. You did it, Representative Scott. Yeah. Wait, did we do the rapid? We got through them? Yeah, oh, we, we got the rapid, the rapid questions. Yeah. All right. And <laughs> just so thankful. I mean, I feel I feel um, empowered to continue, you know, moving in this space that Renee and I are moving in. And uh, what you're doing has, has really motivated me and struck a chord with me. And so we're so very thankful to, to have you out there fighting the fight for us. And we're, we're so thankful to have you on this show. And uh, just using your voice for change. We really appreciate you. Yeah. Well, thank you both so much. And, and I'm about to uh, 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 you know, rub my hands together and, and get back to work. I love it. I we, love it. We will be watching, as the Courier Journal says, your person to watch. So we'll be watching what happens and we'll be supporting. We are thankful to Representative Scott for joining us again to kick off our Listen To series. This wasn't about partisan politics. This was about passion for justice, for people and for our communities. I think you could hear that in her voice. Oh, I definitely think we could. We are humbled by her wanting to join us. We are also excited about what is to come this season. Next week, we will continue the Listen To series. We have an incredible lineup of guests coming your way this season. We hope you'll stick with us throughout this series. You might not like everything you hear. You might not agree on a political position as positions are bound to come up during these conversations. 
or you might like everything we say and you might agree with all of it. Either way, we can all listen to the experience of others and learn from those experiences. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. That's a good word, Renee. Uh, We hope you all will tune in again next week as we continue to be humble, be kind, be courageous, and be good listeners. Two Mamas and a Mustard Seed is written and produced by Kisa Holke and myself. Music is licensed through musicbed.com. Learn more about us, hear more episodes, and send us your questions and comments at twomamasandamustardseed.com. Skies walking on sunshine, all my troubles melt away. It's perfect weather, it can't get better. It's just another sunny day. Rolling with the top down, California dreaming now. Cruising down the one on one. Everybody knows it's time to let go and have fun in the sun. All I see are blue skies. This feeling just feels so right. Sunshine, stay